It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. By the way, you can join us during the week. Fox Business, 4 to 5 p.m., Monday through Friday. If you can't get there at 4, text your favorite 9-year-old, and she will show you how to DVR the show. It's real simple. And here you can live stream us on the internet, LarryCudlowShow.com, LarryCudlowShow.com. Heard all over the country, around the world, throughout the solar system and the Milky Way. So we're going to do some stock market work. Not a great week for stocks. Let's see, the Dow's off 654, the NASDAQ was off 497. S&P 500 was down almost 3%, 130 points. Basically, the theme as I see it is stocks down and interest rates up. More of the same could be coming. Let's talk to our experts. Jim Urio, director of TJM Institutional Services and Chicago's leading restaurateur. And Jeff Kilberg, CEO of KKM Financial and uh, Notre Dame University. Gentlemen, welcome back. Um... Jim Urio, I was talking earlier in the show to Lee Cooperman. He was a very smart guy, I think you guys would acknowledge. Uh, he's got a new book out. It's a very interesting book about his life and times up from nothing, really, to obviously a very successful guy. But we got around to talking about the stock market, and he suggested that multiples were too high relative to interest rates. And my challenge to you guys, I think interest rates are going to keep going higher because I think inflation is going to keep going higher because of energy. And I think the Fed's going to 6%. And I think the 10-year bond is going to at least 5%. Jim Irio, go ahead. Go ahead after it. (laughs) There's no question that the market agrees with you right now, and that's the reason for the stock market weakness, I think. It's all coincides. The dollar's been up for 10 straight weeks in a row. The, uh, we're not pricing in nearly as many rate eases in 2024 as we had been before. So the market thinks the higher for longer thing is, is that's what we're trading on right now. Whether or not I agree with you, I, I don't think I do agree with I, I think that if the stock market does what I think it's going to do, and that will be my indication will be an, another poor day on Monday below last week's lows. If that happens, I think that we're you know, easily, in my opinion, due for a 9 to 10% correction off these highs that we made uh, two weeks ago. And mm-hmm. I think that then changes the Fed's thinking because then they'll all of a sudden start going, oh, you know, burning timbers are falling from the ceiling. You know, they, they pretend that they're not sensitive to stock market fluctuations. We know that they are. We saw it. We've seen it in the past. Anytime there's a significant move lower, they change the tune. So I think that the market thinks rates are going to be higher for longer. And I think in the short term, that narrative is going to persist. But I think we could be weeks away from that flipping. Jeff Kilberg, how high is the bond yield going to go, the 10-year? That's the trillion-dollar question, Larry, and I don't think there's much more. If I would have gone back last October when you and Jim Urey were crawling into your bear suit, when the S&P 500 was at 3,600, mm-hmm. and I would have told you that the 10-year nose would go up to 4.5%, and the S&P would still be up over 4,300, I don't think anyone would have believed me. So I guess my point is, yes, we are feeling acute pain and in interest rate sensitivity when the 10-year has come up here, but I think we're putting way too much credit into the Fed. The Fed has been wrong every step of the way. Remember their transitory call on inflation? That didn't really prove out to be so well. So I think they have to come out with their hawkish pause. I think they have to continue to talk about rates moving higher. But 
be going back to my 10-year days when I traded the Chicago Board of Trade, I believe the 10-year is actually going to tuck back under 4% in Q4. That's a very lonely call right now, but I'm used to that. But I think the resiliency in the equity market has been uh, shining. And at the same time, the 10-year note, if it can calm down, if the two-year note can calm down, I think you'll see that. But the Fed, by design, loves this inversion. It's a higher cost of capital. It's a synthetic rate hike for them. Synthetic can, you, can Jeff prove that you and I, Larry, were this bearish that he claims we were back in October? No, we need receipts on that. And if it's true, it was only a couple of weeks, I'm pretty certain. No, no, he's the, um, he's the, Joe, he's the Joe Biden of the stock market today. Next thing, he's going to blame Donald Trump. He's going to blame Donald Trump for the immigration problem, the inflation problem, every problem. That's Jeff Kilberg. Yeah. I thought Notre no, Dame's like having it. a good fall. I don't know why this bad mood. It's really something. <laughs> and Lou Holtz is on campus at South Bend. It's going to be a great, na- a great day and a great night for the Fighting Irish. By the way, I love Lou Holtz. I know him very well. I love yeah. – did you play for Lou Holtz? Uh, I did. I did. I did. I, once he found I out I, I was that. leaving – once he found out I was leaving and graduating Notre Dame, he realized it was time for him to leave as well. So we both oh. left together in 1997. <laughs> I love Lou Holtz. Just love, He's the love, best. love. Oh, my God, what a great man he is. Um, all right, uh, Jim Urio, the other thing that interests me here is the economy, which probably will print a pretty good number in the third quarter. We won't know that for about a month, but judging from the Atlanta Fed, which is probably too high, but I probably, you know, you could get a 3% something prints. But I think the economy's underpinnings are lousy. And I think you're gonna see a big economic slump. I think it's gonna show up in the fourth quarter and particularly the first quarter. What are you thinking about the economy? I'm actually relatively certain of that as well. I was wrong about when the recession was gonna happen. And I I know why I was wrong too. I I think that the, the rate hikes were much less efficacious just because of the fact that 10-year yields were below 2% for the five years that preceded the first rate hike, meaning that everybody, including you know homeowners, businesses, had ample opportunity to roll into duration to insulate themselves somewhat from rates going up. So now everybody in their 30-year mortgages who isn't selling their house going, yeah, I'm not doing anything. I got a 3% mortgage. So it didn't have the same punch. And then you throw on the other side that people got money on the sidelines that we always talked about for 10 years, and we pretended that it was fuel for the stock market going higher. Well, now that money on the sidelines earning, you know, four and a half to five and a half percent, depending on where they're at. That's, they're perfectly comfortable. So that's why I think it's going slower. But if you look, the labor numbers to me are, are coming down. The nonsense of these headline um, non-farm payroll numbers that come out and beat and then are revised for the next three months down mm-hmm. to half of what they were. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, smacks of, it smacks of corruption, or it's possibly just that that birth death model doesn't understand market turns. So it, it might be one of the two things. But either way, I think that uh, the recession is definitely coming. Jeff Kilberg, what do you think about the economy? You know, I, I agree. There are some cracks. We're seeing credit card debt vault over a trillion dollars. That's not a great sign. But by and large, there's pockets of optimism. You are still seeing the consumer strength. And as you know, two-thirds of our economy is driven by the consumer. But I think it's interesting. Jimmy brought up a great point. And I don't really say that too often. You know my disdain for Jimmy Urio. So when I say he brought up a great point, hang in there. Don't fall out of your chair, Larry. But what's interesting is that he talks about the juicy 5% yield that people have been gravitated towards in the U.S. Treasury market. Well, here, as we're going into the seasonality of September, the end of the quarter, I think people are looking at the S&P 500 up 14% year-to-date, and maybe there's going to be some rebalance. And that could be 
some enthusiasm going into stocks in October because people are realizing that the maturity on those six months, one year, and two year notes are coming, and maybe they take a little more risk and become a little bit more in the stock market. That's how I see Q4 going. Go ahead. <clears throat> no way. Twelve and a half percent. Jimmy, are you still there? Jimmy, are you still I'm there? Still there but I say, I say no way to that. I say the opposite's going to happen. The people are going to look at the stock market, say up fourteen percent, and say, "Wow, maybe it's time to rebalance and put my my uh, money in some of those juicy two years." Um, so, I, yeah, I, I do I do disagree with you on that. I think that we're going to look at. The, time I think stock. you look at the glass half empty and leaking. And if you recall, this is a post midterm election year. Historically speaking, going back to nineteen fifty, the S and P five hundred has outperformed on average up sixteen percent. So oh, one one for Kilberg. That was a good one. Nice. You had that in your pocket. History. Well done. So I think we really have to respect some of the technicals. And, and right now, the S&P 500 is nearing oversold territory on our relative strength index level. Ten years gone to 5%. Ten years oh, gone well, to then, 5%. Then my whole thesis you can put in, in the garbage can. I'm not saying, I'm not saying forever. Right. I'm not saying forever. Uh, the ten-year yields may break down a lot next year. But right okay. now, I think you're in a tricky position. And one of the big variables, actually, let's take a break. I want to talk about energy because I think that's a, a, a known unknown, to use Donald Rumsfeld's uh, idea. Um, folks, we are, <laughs> we are s- sort of having a conversation with Jim Urio, <laughs> TJM Institutional Services, and Jeff Kilberg, KKM Financial, and Notre Dame University. I'm still Cudlow. We'll be right back. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We are here with Jim Urio, TJM Institutional Services, Jeff Kilberg, KKM Financial. We're talking stocks and other markets. Let's talk some energy. Jim Urio, I will begin with you. How high is the oil price going to go? Because... That is going to impact inflation, top-line CPI, which will impact the Federal Reserve, which will impact interest rates, which will impact stocks. There you go. Okay. So the last couple times I've been on the show, I'd said $100 oil was in the cards. Check the receipts on that, Kilberg, by the way. But anyway, so now I, I, I think we are, I think for the, in the short term, I think it trades between 90 and um, 82, 83. There is one thing that I disagree with a little bit. I think on balance, there is no question that um, elevated oil prices are inflationary. It is a, you know, that cost push back from the 70s, uh, that's there and it's real. However, I think it is overestimated because at the same time, it is pulling liquidity out of the system like a tax at the pump. And we still import, you know, half the oil and, um, and that money is going other places. So I think it is inflationary, but not as much as many other analysts think so, too. Now I think we we trade in between the range here because it needs a a better reason now to head for the 100 than just uh, Saudis and Russia cutting production, putting the screws to us because they were unhappy about us selling the SPR. But I I think it matters. I don't think it matters as much as other people do in the inflation picture, if that makes any sense. Mm, Jeff Kilber, what what are you thinking on oil? Well, when I look at energy overall and oil – there's a bit of a bifurcation when you look at crude oil vaulting above $90. And a little hat tip to Uriel, even a blind squirrel finds a nut. So he was right on that yeah. call of oil going higher to $100. But when you see copper, Dr. Copper, tucked down under $4 at three seventy, that bifurcation is a little troublesome and does speak a little bit more to the inflationary input that oil is. But if you look at energy, by and large, XLE, that's the ETF we like to follow, You know that is up 
substantially, about 15% in the last three months when everything else is down. But year to date, you've seen energy just kind of lag up 2% after you know a nice move higher. But you look at names like Pioneer, PXD, Marathon, MPC, those are names we want to own. I think you know specifically like a Pioneer, it's yielding more than your 10-year note call. It's yielding about 7.2%. So I think there's a reason to own energy. I think you have to be selective. It's a stock picker's market. Well, look, the prices are firm because there's a shortage of um, oil. The world is undersupply with oil right now. And Biden doesn't want to drill in Alaska. He doesn't want to drill in the Gulf of Mexico. He doesn't want to drill in New Mexico. And the Saudis and the Russians don't want to drill because uh, the Saudis have a big budget deficit and Russia's fighting a war. And then you have these little little haters like Venezuela and Iran. I mean, where's the oil production going to come from? I mean, why won't prices go to $125? They might, and I don't even know if Biden knows where Alaska is right now. But at the end of the day, you're right, Larry. That's supply and demand component, and then you throw in Putin. You know, there's, there's some global headwinds there that could spike it over $100, and Uriel could actually be right for the second time in one year. Yeah, well. so I, but what you said, Larry, I, can I build on it for one second? Because mm-hmm. right now, people are looking at our oil production and saying, ah, things are fine, we're producing oil. But we are not making investments in producing oil in the future. Right. We are. This, right. this is going right. to be an enormous deal, this right. ridiculous energy policy that they... Uh, we're still under 13 million barrels a day. We're still under the pre-pandemic 13.1 million barrels a day. We should be yeah. at 15 million barrels a day were it not for these crazy Green New Deal climate policies. There's no doubt about it. And we're not making the investment. Mike Worth said that there'll never be another um, refinery built in this country again because of mm-hmm. the regulatory hurdle it has to jump over. And that, this is, it's a huge deal. And we, if they, they sure as hell, PEC better be right on their green new energy things, if they, particularly excluding nuclear, which is completely asinine. But because uh, we have a very difficult time finding oil in about two years. I know. I think it's a big problem, and I think it's going to become a Federal Reserve problem. You know, Jeff Kilberg, you can't, the Fed can't keep creating money if oil prices are going up, because then they'll embed inflation. You know, oil permeates the entire economy. You know, hundreds of prices are impacted by refined petroleum products. That's why oil is so important. And I think the Fed, I think people in general underestimate the inflationary potential of higher oil prices. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why the Fed removes food and energy from their inflationary. Right. Right. They'll hit their 2% target by taking out food, energy, shelter, every other bloody thing. Everything that goes up. Right. Yeah. But, but I think real quickly, it's interesting. The Fed, you know, they're still about $8 trillion on their balance sheet. So I know they've talked about their $95 billion a month draining, but at the end of the day, they had to save some of the regional banks. So they still have a very swollen balance sheet. And if you think mm-hmm. about, you, know, you keep on hearing Fed Chairman Paul talk about his soft landing, that balance sheet is the pillow on the tarmac for that soft landing. If That's they really right. do get serious about reducing that balance sheet, which they should, let's remember before the great financial crisis back in 08, the balance sheet was $450 billion with a B, and now we're above $8 trillion with a T. So it is a little bit of Looney Tunes when you think about how much money they actually have out there. You know, that is one of the most sensible things you've said in years. That whole <laughs> riff you just did. You're exactly right. I mean, you just nailed it, completely nailed it. Jim Uriel, um, the CRB index, though, has been very strong. The mm-hmm. overall commodity index has been very strong. Bloomberg's been very strong the last three months. Yeah, here's what worries me about that, too. So the CRB, I mean, you look at oil, too. 
certain things. Copper copper is held in relatively well, considering that the dollar index has rallied for 10 straight weeks and mm. the news out of China has been relatively awful. So the, to me, it seems like when the Fed, if what I think is going to happen in the next um, couple months, and then all of a sudden the Fed is going to have to talk dovish again, I think those things could really explode the, based on the fact that they've done pretty well in the shadow of a strong dollar. So mm. I, I think... Uh, those things could head higher if we do any sort of dollar-reversing policy. Does the dollar increase cut into profits? I mean, it's still below where it was, I think, a year ago or something. Wasn't the dollar like 112 or 114? Now it's 105. No, I think at this point in time, it's just just on your radar as what could could happen as far as uh, the future goes. I think at 105, it's perfectly Mm. perfectly acceptable level. Mm. Yeah, no, I would tend to agree with that. Jeff Kilberg, what's your favorite? Uh, is energy your favorite uh, sector right now? You know, energy is, but there's also, you know, some of the blue chip names that you kind of don't even think about or forget about. But some of the names in defense, like a Lockheed Martin, you know, mm. we like owning those names because we think, you know, if we do see a change in administration, not to talk political, but there is going to be some revivement. Boeing's a name that's, you know, trying to find its steps. So there, there's certain names that we still want to own like that. But we're not walking away from the Googles, the Amazons, and, of course, Meta, which is, you know, just having a ridiculous year after a pretty tough 2022. But I think you have to be really considerate of where you're owning. And there's names like Berkshire Hathaway. There's names like CME Group. Those are names that you just don't talk about or hear on the financial news. And CME Group's having a great year. More and more we trade these interest rates, they're up 20%. So I think you have to look a little bit under the hood to find some of these stocks that make sense. And Jim Urio, your favorite sector? The only the sector I only like right now is because I think everything's headed south, and I don't like oil as much right now. Is I'm going to say gold and mm. and copper. Um, the the trade I'm, and this doesn't have as much to do with the stock market, but I am looking at spot to buy the yen, and that might be a um, a big trade. But it has to show some strength before I do that. But the gold trade to me, a trade above gold is the worst the worst chart the worst chart out there. It hasn't moved. Look at the ten year year fifteen year article, and then we'll talk about that. We'd be showing each other we're in the same room right now. (laughs) I don't what whatever happened to Japan? The yen, Japan. I remember when Japan was the biggest Japan was the China of its day. We hated Japan, do you remember? And then they were buying up our land and our golf courses and Rockefeller Center. Mm -hmm. And then the whole bloody thing crashed, and we haven't heard from them ever since. That was like 30 years ago. They could control control everything to the most minute detail. Yeah. We we thought it was a market economy, but look what they do with yield curve control, controlling their currency. They can't control it as much as they think, and they ended up damaging their economy. It should be a lesson learned for all of us. Do you know in the early 1970s, one dollar bought 350 yen? Did you know that? Yeah, that's know. true. That's a true point. And the price of gold was was 35 dollars an ounce, and the dollar was linked to gold, and we all live happily ever after. <laughs> Jeff Kilberg, KKM Financial, Jim Urio, TJM Institutional Services, some pretty wild stuff, folks. I'm Cudlow. On the side of the break, we're going to talk money and politics with Liz Peek and Monica Crowley. Stick around, please. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. 
depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.